0: Mike, what day is it, Mike? It's a hump day. <laughs> You're listening into the Locked On Golden Gophers Podcast. I'm Nate Dickinson. We got a good show lined up for you today, as we do every single day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Once again, coming up on today's show, we give you everything you need to know, as we do every weekday, going on throughout Minnesota sports from what we'll have today, which is a big loss for Minnesota basketball yesterday, 92-65 to the fighting Illini of Illinois, brutal loss. Terrible loss. Not only is Illinois good, and they played fine, but Minnesota was just terrible in that matchup. We'll break it all down in a little bit. I really don't want to talk about it right now. But as we mentioned, we will give you everything you need to know every single day here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. And in that vein, here's what you might have missed if you weren't quite paying attention over the last 24 hours on what went down up at the University of Minnesota. A team was terrible yesterday in basketball. We already went through that. Also, it's signing day today, the early signing day for football teams around the NCAA. If you're on Twitter, you already know that Minnesota has been prepping up big for this day. They've got a whole lot of stuff planned, as pretty much everyone on social media and college football does for this day. They like hyping up their new guys, and they're going to do so throughout the day today. You'll be able to get to know these players, as Minnesota wants you to, and they'll be putting out a lot of content throughout the day. So be sure to check that out if you're interested in the future of the Gopher football team. Also in Gopher football news, Mo Ibrahim is a well-deserving recipient of the Big Ten Running Back of the Year Award. He, he, no pun intended, ran away with it. Gopher's running back was outstanding this season. I mentioned it in the game against Nebraska. I don't know how many wins Minnesota has if Mo Ibrahim's not there on the field because while Minnesota was really struggling through that first part of the season and a whole lot of other aspects of its game, Ibrahim was the constant. He was that guy who was able to get it done every single time and he gets All-Big Ten honors as well. First team All-Big Ten, also the Big Ten running back of the year. Minnesota did have some other mentions on that All-Big Ten team, too. We had three third-teamers, Rashad Bateman, Connor Olson, and Blaze Andrees, and three honorable mentions as well, John Michael Schmitz, Tanner Morgan, and Sam Schluter. That's what's going on around Minnesota sports right now. Now let's get a little bit into that game here yesterday, because it was not very good. Minnesota was terrible, and we'll break down all the stats in just a minute, but I, I want to try and find, before we get into all of the bad stuff, some of the positives that we can maybe take away from this game. Not really individual stuff, but I'm talking like big picture. I'm talking like season-long kind of things. First off, going into this game, it's not like Minnesota was expected to win. Yes, the Gophers were 6-0 and going into it, and Illinois had already lost two games. But you have to remember, those two games were against Baylor, one of the top two teams in the nation, and Missouri, who is now ranked. I don't know if it was the win over Illinois that put them into the top 25, but they're like 16 now, I think. And they've proved that they're good enough to be able to run with an Illinois team. Minnesota hadn't done that. Yeah, they beat Boston College, who's off to a terrible start in the ACC. But aside from that, this team hadn't really had a big challenge. This was the first big test of the season, and while it was a terrible loss, it was by far the worst game that these guys had played all season long. You have to kind of remember that that makes sense, right? Like, these guys weren't coming into this matchup as any sort of heavy favorite in this game, they weren't supposed to win this game, and they didn't win this game. Now, you obviously didn't expect them to get blown out in the way that the Gophers did, Really, if you're thinking about when Minnesota was supposed to, if you're looking at like, all right, this team's going to have some sort of slip-up game at some point. If you're looking at when Minnesota was supposed to have a big slip-up, yeah, this game against Illinois makes sense. It's still early in the season. This is still a team that's dealing with a pandemic and has had to shut down its practice for multiple days in the preseason leading up to it. And even though you already had six games under your belt before going in to play Illinois – you had not played against a team that caliber of the Fighting eyes so far this season. So if you were saying, all right, the Gophers have to have some sort of downfall of a game at some point this season, pick one. I probably would have picked Illinois. And that's how it ended up playing out. Now, here's what you need to know as far as the silver lining stuff, because I haven't said many positive things in this time when I said I wanted to talk about positives. You got to hope that this is the worst game of the entire season. We talk about like the rock bottom for Illinois or I'm sorry for Minnesota football the rock bottom I guess you could argue would have been losing to Maryland in overtime in that second week. You got to hope that for a Minnesota team that really when you look at the schedules is in kind of the same spot as that football team was when they played Maryland, maybe this basketball team's rock bottom we just saw. Because as we get into the numbers in the next segment, it's ugly. It's not pretty and I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it in any way. But you got to hope that you can build from this. Understand what went so wrong. And when you're going on and playing what is now seven of eight ranked teams in your next eight games on the schedule, an absolute gauntlet going forward, as I called it yesterday, hope that you can be better now. Because if this is a game that we're going to see more than once from the Minnesota Gophers on the basketball courts, I don't think this can be any sort of NCAA tournament team. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I really do believe that this can be the rock bottom for this team. But you got to hope that it is. got to hope that the Gophers are thinking right now, all right, we sucked yesterday, and they did. But now let's learn from it, get better, and make sure that we don't put together a performance like that again. Because it was a slap in the face and honestly one that you could have seen coming. Because again, Illinois is good. Minnesota hadn't played anyone close to that good so far this season. And it looked like it. Illinois had already played a couple of ranked teams. Baylor, one of the best teams in the country, along with the Illini. Minnesota hadn't had that experience. They got it. They got knocked down. Now the question is, how do they get back up? That's what you got to be thinking about looking looking forward, and that's what you have to be at least having the mindset of if you want to stay any sort of positive going into this big stretch against all sorts of really good talent. Well, if I had to guess, I'd say the Gopher basketball team is not chilling today. I would say Richard Pitino is probably working them pretty hard. But if they were chilling, I'd tell them to reach for a Coors Light, the beer that's literally made to chill. Now, you're probably already aware that when they say made to chill, they mean like relaxing, hanging out at the bar, watching the game with the guys in the basement, in the man cave, or wherever you may be, on the tailgate, when we're able to do that again. But did you know that it's also literally made to chill too? I'm talking about cold filtered, cold lagered, and cold packaged as well. It's as cold and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light's the one I choose when I need to chill out, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's literally made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's get.coorslight.com. Also, if you needed a little bit of extra energy after you're done chilling out, whether it's to get yourself through that work day or get yourself through that workout, whatever else you may need some energy for, I suggest you head over to Built Bar. They're the people that you need to know as far as energy bars go and protein bars, because let's be honest, you can get your protein in a whole lot of different ways nowadays. You got the powders, you got the shakes, you got the energy bars like Built Bar. But nobody quite gives you that taste that Built Bar can provide. They've got outstanding flavors, 18 of them for you to choose from. So you know there's going to be something that you like from classic flavors like double chocolate, mint brownie, peanut butter, to new things they're putting out like cookies and cream, cherry bar, barcia, carrot cake. It's unique, but if you're into that stuff, you're going to like it from Built Bar. It's 100% covered in chocolate and soft and easy to chew. Covered in 100% chocolate, not 100% covered in chocolate. I I should make that distinction as well. And soft and easy to chew, too, because I hate getting those little, like, granola bar things stuck into your teeth, you know? It it just sticks in your mouth all day, and then you're gnawing at it with your tongue. It it takes up so much of your attention, and it bugs me. But anyway, let's move on. Not only does Built Bar provide all of those great things as far as taste and texture goes, but they're healthy as well. Less than 200 calories per bar. Less than 5 grams net of carbs and sugars, too. And the protein that you need. We're talking up to 20 grams of protein in these things, depending on which flavor you're choosing from. Built Bar is a little bit of everything. The whole package. It tastes good. It's good for you. It's all natural, too. You're not getting any of that fake stuff that could hurt your body down the road. Built Bar is all that you need to get that extra boost of protein for your workout or just to get through the day. You know how it goes. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now, also, we got a deal for you. Use the code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, the code LOCKEDON, no space, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about that Gopher basketball game between Minnesota and Illinois. Again, it's not something I want to get into all that much, but we're going to break it down, and I won't go easy on this team either. Nate Dickinson here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. I mean, we can't just not talk about it, right? Like, I'd perfectly be happy just pushing this one under the rug, but I feel like I have an obligation to at least break down a little bit of the disaster that was the Big Ten opener for this Minnesota basketball team. Gophers go into Champaign with a 6-0 and record, and honestly, I had some expectations for this team going up against Illinois. I mean, the squad had looked pretty good overall. There had been hiccups. Loyal Marymount is not a team that Minnesota should only be beating at a buzzer-beating three. North Dakota is probably not a team that the Gophers should only beat by single digits. But when I'm looking at, like, individual performances and how this team played together as a team, I was pretty encouraged. I had at least some sort of hopes that the Gophers were going to be able to be a team that, like, at least looked like it could play with Illinois, you know? Even if it ended up being, like, a 10-15 point loss. If I saw a squad out there that looked like it could, like by February or March, be able to run with a team like the Illini, I would have been feeling pretty good. That's not what we got, though, is it? No. This Gopher team loses 92-65 to against Illinois. 40 points for the Illini in the first half, 52 points put up by Illinois in the second half. It wasn't pretty, and we'll break it down all right now. Let's start right off the top. Because at the beginning of the game, the Gophers looked like it might be able to do what I was just talking about, run with an Illinois team that has Final Four and National Championship hopes. Minnesota jumps out to an early 18-10 lead. Gophers are looking really good both shooting the ball and defending guys like both Diodasunmu and Kofi, Kofi Kokeburn. But then everything kind of falls apart. And it all starts when Liam Robbins picks up his second foul of the game about four minutes into it. I don't remember exactly when it was. I don't know if, no, I don't have it in my notes the exact time it was, but it was somewhere around that first TV timeout. Robbins picks up his second foul. It's something we've talked about before. This guy's shown he can be elite. He can be a Big Ten big man, and a good one at that, if he's staying out of foul trouble. And Honestly, with the best of the best in the Big Ten, with guys like Cokeburn and then Luca Garza, you need a guy who can be someone who can defend that position or at least match up with a guy like Garza or Cokeburn and be able to make it so that the rest of the team has a chance to do something. Because with the way that Cokeburn was playing yesterday, Minnesota did not have much of a chance, even if they were playing pretty well, and they didn't. But you lose Liam Robbins so early into the game, he ends up playing 16 minutes total. And he scores 10 points. He was still Liam Robbins. His play is never the problem. It's the fact that he can't keep playing. That has always been the struggle for Minnesota. And then all of a sudden you have a seven-footer who only had two rebounds on the game. He had the least amount of rebounds out of anyone in the starting lineup for the Gophers yesterday. That's not acceptable. You need him on the floor. And obviously it showed when he was off the floor just how desperately the Gophers needed him to stop a guy like Kofi Cockburn. Because as I said, I thought he was doing a pretty good job early. But he goes off, and Illinois just goes on a run. Cokeburn, I don't even know what it was at the half. He, he had 6 of 7 shooting at some point in the first half and 13 points. I think he ended up with a couple more buckets after that. At halftime, I don't remember his exact line at the half. I tried to try and keep track a little bit. But he ends up finishing with 33 points. 13 rebounds. 9 of 15 from the free throw line after the Gophers were really just hacking him the entire time. He scored 15 he had he took 15 free throws out of the team's 25 for Illinois. Nobody else on the team took more than two free throws in the game because they didn't have to. There's no point in driving to the bucket to maybe get a foul when you can throw it inside with Cokeburn having his back to the basket and know you're going to get that foul because it was a given throughout the entire game. If he got the ball and got himself in a position where he could score, Just about every time, he was going to score. 12 of 15 from the field. It's the kind of performance that you look at yourself and say, man, we need to figure out how to stop that if we're going to be able to do anything in this conference. Because while Cokeburn is one of the better players underneath in this league, it wasn't going to be very successful on defense for the Gophers, no matter who was down there, I don't think. It just looked bad. It looked uncoordinated. And speaking of uncoordinated, let's talk about the offense. In this first half, and honestly, I stopped paying attention quite as closely in the second half, but it happened in the second half too. In this first half, the Gophers went on a stretch where it looked like the team had never played basketball with each other before. It looked like, for some of them, a team that had never really played basketball with anyone else who knew how to play basketball before, right? Right. Like, you know when you're on a high school team where there's the one really, really good player and then everybody else is kind of just there? That one player is the guy who is taking all the shots. He's creating his own shots. And he's honestly a lot of the time taking shots that aren't great quality, but it's the best percentage shot that the team has just because the rest of the guys aren't out there. That's not what's supposed to happen at the college level. You're supposed to have everybody who can at least play the game competently and you can move the ball around with. The Gophers were not doing that. Minnesota was constantly playing a one-on-one game on the perimeter, driving and kicking out, throwing up bad shots, and not moving the basketball with all five players. As I mentioned, it looked like at points they just hadn't played basketball together before. They didn't know how to work with one another on the hardwood. And again, in the first big test of the season, as we mentioned at the open of the show... In the first big test of the season, honestly, there are a lot of players who have not played together before on this team. Leah Robbins, Booth Gotch, uh, Brandon Johnson, who ended up coming off the bench today. Jamal Mashburn Jr., who was the second most minutes behind Johnson on the bench today. Those are four guys who are regulars on their team who have not played at all together. Let's add in Eric Curry, because he hasn't played with this team in a couple of years. That's a lot of guys who still have to get used to each other, so I guess it makes sense that they weren't quite as fluid as they had been previously against a really good team. But that was just brutal. And the big thing that was uh I guess the spark word on the broadcast and then on Twitter online too was ball reversals. Moving the ball around the perimeter from one side all the way around to the other, stretch out the defense and then you can hopefully find lanes. I I don't know if I believe in ball reversals themselves per se. Obviously moving the ball is important, but I'm not someone who believes that at the college level just Throwing the ball around the perimeter from one side to the other is just something that's going to break a defense after a while. you got to be able to do more than just reverse the ball, and it's more complicated than that. But the sentiment is the same. It's Ball reversals are a way to move the ball around when you're having trouble moving the ball around and the Gophers weren't doing it. So, again, I'm not a huge fan of just ball reversals themselves as a standalone thing, but again, it's the motion. And the fluidity of the offense that you're looking for when people are complaining about that, when in this case, Dan Dockich was complaining about that on the broadcast yesterday. But anywho, moving on to some other stats. Let's talk about just how bad this was for the Gophers as far as the numbers go. In the first half, Minnesota shot 23% from the field. It was out rebounded by ten. But and I said this on our Twitter page, and you can give us a follow again at L O Golden Gophers. This team was only down 11 at that point. If you had gone into the game saying, hey, Minnesota's going to play an Illinois team that is national championship contending talent, has two superstars in the Big Ten, and in the first half the Gophers are going to shoot 23%, and Illinois will out-rebound them by 10. Do you think the Gophers are only going to be down 11 points? I mean, I know there's only so many possessions, but I would say that only being down 11, having a chance to be able to get hot in the second half and come back into that game— that's something you could be grateful for. Obviously, it didn't happen, and the Gophers continued to just be terrible throughout. Ends up finishing 27.5% from the field. The Gophers made 19 shots from the field in the entire game of those 40 minutes. Out-rebounded by a score of 49-32. to Marcus Carr led the way with 16. Robbins, as we mentioned before, he had 10 points. He was the only other scorer in double digits. Marcus Carr, though, got his 16 points on just 3 of 13 shooting. It was the first really poor game we saw from the Gopher point guard all season. I would have loved to see how the Gophers would have done without having to spend so much energy on Kofi Kochburn. Because, again, that was the key. He was the star for Illinois, and Minnesota had to expend so much energy on defense, focusing on trying to get him to not score, which didn't work. That I really think it affected how many points, obviously, that Illinois scored on the scoreboard, but I, I think it could have also even affected the other side of the basketball for Minnesota. I mean, knowing that Cokeburn's going to be able to go down there and he's been so dominant, m- maybe that means that Minnesota feels a uh, pressure to score more quickly, to get more shots up, to be able to put the ball in the basket, while meanwhile at the other end, Cokeburn's just going and catch the ball post-move easy bucket. I, that's a bit of a stretch. But I do want to know, if Liam Robbins had been able to be in there 30-plus minutes, which he would have been if he had stayed out of foul trouble, they needed him out there against the big man from Illinois, would this team have been able to do better? Or I guess how much better would this team have been able to do, defensively especially, because 92 points is unacceptable. That's not going to win, I would say, any basketball games for this team. While the Gophers have decent scores. They don't have the ability to put up 90 points in a game, at least not unless they're playing some sort of really high-paced game where they play a lot better than they did that time around. I'm just not sure what the answer is entirely, but I want to say that it would add something to do with the fact that Robbins wasn't out there on the floor. I want to see him out there more. I understand that he's a big man in the Big big Ten, and Daniel Oturu had foul trouble at times for Minnesota last year too. There's a lot of contact down in that paint. And the guy who's down there on defense is going to take a lot of those fouls. But Minnesota isn't someone who can afford to not have Robbins on the court, especially as we get into Big Ten play. So that's something they need to figure out. One final note before we get into our final segment of the show, we're going to be breaking down a pro football focuses evaluation of the Minnesota football game against Nebraska over the weekend, by the way. But one just thought I had when going over the box scores and stuff, post-game and all that, this was a 27-point loss. And I don't know if I've ever watched a game before where I could say that in a 27-point loss, a team could have won it had they played better. Now, I'm not saying that would have happened. If Kofi Kochburn's not doing what he's doing, odds are someone else who's really talented on Illinois is stepping up and providing a little more, too. But honestly, I mean, when you look at all the mistakes that were made, I think you could argue that there are 27 points worth of mistakes there, no? No. Like, the Gophers, if they had played at least a good game, there's no way this margin is that big. Because honestly, it could have and should have been a little bit bigger even, I think. Like, these are two Big Ten teams. Nobody's going to beat anybody by 50 or anything like that. But I really could have seen this team losing by, like, only 10 or 11 points, even if they play, like, just as good as they had in their other games they played this season. They would have needed to play well to beat Illinois. There's no doubt about that. And probably above what they had done so far this year. But when I look at how badly Minnesota played, I legitimately was thinking, man, could this have been a game? Could a game that was almost a 30-point loss have been a game if the Gophers had just played like decently? I've never thought that before, I don't think. I don't think there's ever been a situation where I've seen a team play so poorly in a loss that was still close enough where it could have, if it was cut in half, been a ball game in the second half for a lot of it, you know? Even if this is a 15-point loss, the Gophers are still going through the second half with an idea that they could win. It would have been like a 7, 8, 10-point game throughout the middle parts of that second half where it's still not over yet, you know? And then Minnesota maybe goes on a run and makes it real close or even wins. But maybe it's a stretch. And I'm not saying that if the Gophers had played well, they would have beaten Illinois. But that, that was one thought that just popped in my head. Like, man, this team played so badly. I really think they may have been able to make up a 27-point deficit if they had played even just a little bit above average. For their skill sets but we'll talk about all that later on and what's next for the gophers in our next segment we're breaking it down football pro football focus we got all the advanced stats that they have from minnesota's matchup with nebraska over the weekend what was good what wasn't great well it was all pretty good for minnesota in getting a win after 22 days off and without 33 players we'll tell you how good pro football focus said the gophers did in just a minute here on the locked on golden gophers podcast Welcome back here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. I'm Nate Dickinson. We're going to talk about the Gopher game against Nebraska and, in particular, break down PFF's stats in just a moment. But right now, I got to let you know about Crossover Thursday. If you don't follow already the Locked On Vikings podcast and you are a Vikings fan, like seriously, I'll even let you stop the show right now. Pause the show, go subscribe to that podcast. Luke Braun is not only like one of the better hosts as far as Locked On NFL goes, like the podcast is pretty popular as far as among our platforms, but he's just also really smart. Like the guy knows what he's doing. I'm one of those guys, like I'll tell you what I think. I'm able to break down some numbers for you and all that and like what I think needs to be better and what I thought about games in basketball. I'm pretty good at this kind of stuff, but Luke Braun has that football knowledge that I do not have and it would take me a long time to get. Like he's not just breaking down and giving you hot takes and talking about tackling numbers and stuff like that he he does the kind of stuff where like he's every single game for the Vikings, not only tweeting out stuff. Give him a follow by the way at luke braun NFL Give us a follow too at l o golden Gophers while you're at it, but he'll like tweet out these clips where he's just breaking down all right well in this particular play this guy came in on coverage when he should have gone out it was a cloud coverage set he knows all the formations he knows all the setups and how everything was supposed to go compared to how it did he tells you about the good and the bad every single Wednesday he he does this kind of film room thing where he goes back and looks at the last game I'm pretty sure it's Wednesdays but anyway the point is you need to give him a follow if you like the Vikings and you want to know more about how the Vikings are ticking Luke Braun is that guy well-respected Very knowledgeable about just football in general and the Vikings in particular. And tomorrow's Crossover Thursday on all the Locked On NFL Network podcasts. They'll be crossing over with people over at the Locked On Bears podcast. Crossover Thursday, of course, a great way to get a quick breakdown of every game, either for your fantasy team or for your parlay. They're going to break down the matchup in particular. Crossover Thursday is the only or only on the Locked On podcast network again. You know how it goes on our network. Your team, every day. All right, so let's break down some of the numbers from over the weekend with Minnesota Go for football, according to PFF. Because PFF had this game for Minnesota as probably the best of the season. I'm taking a look at some of the numbers right now. It was third best for overall PFF grade for this team, behind the Purdue game and then Illinois. But there were some personal bests out there that were really, really good. And I want to start off by talking about the tackling. Because it's really... All that P.J. Fleck has talked about all year. We talked about it when going over his Media Monday pressers in yesterday's episode. But it does get kind of tiring having P.J. Fleck talk about tackling every single time he goes to that podium early in the season. But it's because that is what needed to get better. These guys hadn't played on defense with this team. And over time, the team has gotten better. And it showed there. From the first couple of weeks when the tackling was just okay, we had an 81 grade. And again, these grades 0-100 to 100, They mash up every single play that a player or team made and put it together into one number. 50 is average, 100 the best, 0 the worst. And it just measures how well the Gophers did their job in, like, in this case, tackling. And they have other stuff like run blocking, running, receiving, passing grades. It's for everything. But it's not a measure of just, like, how well the team played overall. It's just a measure of, How well the team did at one particular thing. Or if it's an individual player, it's how well like Tanner Morgan was at being a quarterback. Not saying that he had a better game than, say, Mo Ibrahim. It's just that he did his job better. Again, just want to give that quick recap of how this all works. But the tackling grade against Nebraska for Minnesota, after 22 days off, missing 33 players on the roster, many of them on the defensive line and all over really the entire team, but all over the defense too. Minnesota put up a season best tackling grade of 90.3. That's not just good for Minnesota. That's elite as far as PFF grades go. Again, this is a 0 to 100 thing. Previous best was against Purdue, an 81.8. But aside from that, 90.3 is 15 points better than any game the Gophers have played all season long. This team stepped up with a lot of players out a lot of younger guys had to get reps and they did what they had to do. And with more than two weeks without getting on the football field at that, you weren't always even practicing all that time when you were going through that two weeks, obviously, because you were doing it for COVID-19 concerns. But there's another side to that, obviously, too, that you know maybe you think after two weeks of rest, you should be able to tackle better. You got fresher legs. The team has been able to focus on things when they have been able to practice. So you can take that as you may, but... I think it's impressive that that team came out after losing so much time and being able to do what they did as far as tackling the ball carrier goes, at least according to PFF again. Next thing I want to discuss, just the defense as a whole. Because again, this was a personal best for the entire defense. Just the overall team's defensive grade, 77.9. That's the best since Illinois when they put up a 66.7. But there's only been three games in which Minnesota has gotten higher than a 60 in that grade. Defense hasn't always been great. A lot of the times it was because of the run defense. And the run defense was awesome too, by the way. 77.2 overall on that grade. The team had never gotten more than a 56 before that point. More than 20 points better in defending the run against Nebraska than against any other team this season for Minnesota. This defense looked really good. And I don't have an explanation for it, really. But pro football focus is right when they're saying how good this gopher team did. If you were watching the game, yeah, there are people who put up some stats. I can pull up the box score right now and just tell you. I mean, Nebraska had themselves 197 rushing yards on the day. So it's not like Minnesota shut them down on the ground. But they did easily do better than they had all season long. And it really did show in just how well they were able to stop the Cornhuskers all afternoon. In Nebraska, again, after 22 days off, I'll keep saying that because I do think it's that impressive. It was the best. uh, There's a coverage grade as far as, like, the pass coverage. That was best of the season. It was the best pass rushing that this team has had since Illinois as far as getting to the quarterback. In fact, all of the team defensive grades, like, throughout, which, again, I'll go over them right now. There's an overall defensive grade. Then there's a run defense, a tackling grade, a pass rushing game, and a cup grade and a coverage grade. Those were all above 70. That's the first time that's happened all season for Minnesota. In fact, just looking over it now, out of those five categories, it's the first time that Minnesota's had more than two of those categories sit at over 70. That was again at Illinois. This defense was really good. I don't know why. It might just be what PJ Fleck has been saying all along. It takes time for this team to get better. You give them a second, you give them some experience, and they'll be okay. Yeah, it is going to be bad in season opener against a Michigan team that's playing a bunch of five-star recruits. They get that, but you got to be patient with them. And it feels like the patient may have paid off against Nebraska. Uh, one final note: Mo Ibrahim, who was named Big Ten Running Back of the Year, we mentioned that at the top of the se- or top of the show earlier today. He had another good game despite not having a great supporting staff behind him as far as blocking goes. The run block grade for Minnesota was the worst of the season, a 55.3, which is just average. For some context, Minnesota had been averaging around 80 on the season, which is like outstanding, elite. Minnesota had done an outstanding job blocking for their star running back. That wasn't the case against Nebraska, but Mo Ibrahim still went off. I mean, he still had a 100-yard game and two touchdowns on the stat sheet, but as far as pro football focus goes, he was still himself too as well. His running back grade was the worst of the season. It was a 65, but 65 is still good, and it really is just his worst of the season because he's been so good before. Like It was only like three points worse than what his worst before that had been. That was against Iowa. So he was able to put together a good game despite not having the blocking that he usually had, blocking that had been elite, And, I mean, it's part of the reason why he is the Big Ten running back of the year. When other things are going wrong for this team, Mo Ibrahim just keeps on chugging. That's all there is to it. And it's part of the reason why, at least I think, he should be able to get some sort of NFL potential at some point. I don't know when that is. I don't know if he goes out. I don't know what even the draft projection would be on him right now. I don't look at all that stuff until we get around draft time. But Mo Ibrahim is really good. I guess is my final point <laughs> and that's how we'll end up here on the locked on golden gopher podcast here on a Wednesday. Nate Dickinson here again back with you tomorrow. We do it every single weekday here on locked on golden gophers on tomorrow's show. We're going to be breaking down the signing class from today. It's early national signing day for the football team. We'll talk about just how good the gophers did this cycle. That's coming up tomorrow on the locked on golden gophers podcast. I'm Nate Dickinson here with Locked On Golden Gophers on the Locked On Podcast Network. Until next time, row the boat, sky you ma, go Gophers.